Welcome to the Hills, all of you watching online, all of you in person in North Richmond Hills, West Fort Worth, and South Lake. We had an amazing weekend. The men's conference was so inspiring. My cup was filled. And you know, a conference like that doesn't just happen with a couple of days of preparation. Eric Robinson and his team spent weeks and months. I'm grateful to them. And I'm particularly grateful to the over 100 volunteers from all three of our campuses who gave up their weekend for the men's conference. Thank them, please, for me. I'm already excited about the next men's conference. Also, another date I'm excited about is this Thursday. I've asked you to be praying. We're holding an interest night Thursday in Dallas as we consider if God might be leading us to open a new campus there. You have friends in Dallas, invite them, pray about this, Let's just see what God is up to. Now, the next three weeks, you're going to have different preaching because I was supposed to be gone. For the third time, my trip to Israel got canceled. I have never been to Israel. I keep trying to go and things keep happening. And so we had built a preaching plan. For the next three weeks, Manny Dominguez and E.J. Brown and Taylor Walling were going to rotate and have live preaching at every campus. I'm going to continue that plan. I'm going to go and visit some churches and church plants in the next three weeks. And one reason we've built this plan is because we're asking for nations and generations, which means raising up the next generation of church leaders. Now, I know something about preaching. The only way you can learn to preach is to get chances to preach. So we're going to be intentional in the years ahead, giving younger voices a platform to speak to the body of Christ. So you're going to be blessed. When I get back, we're going to start a study of the book of Colossians, and I'm excited to share with you what it means to be rooted in Christ. But today, we are going to finish a series titled Stronger. And based on the feedback I've gotten this month, this series has hit a chord with you a felt need. We all know what it's like to feel weak. Preparing for this series, I read every verse in the Bible that used the word strong or strength. And I was amazed at how many times in the Old and New Testament I read this simple phrase, be strong. Like for example, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Now, telling someone to be strong has implications. You're saying to that person, you have a say in whether or not you remain in a weak state. That the condition demands a decision. And we've already said in this series, strength is both a grace and a choice. So I want to close this series by sharing with you some empowering decisions that you can make to be strong. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 6. Keep them open. We're going to work through a text together. And we're going to start reading in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in 
the heavenly realms. So the first decision you can make to be strong is to put the blame where it belongs. Six times in just two verses, Paul uses the word against. There is something or someone that is against you being strong in the Lord. There is something or someone who is against you ever leaving a state of perpetual weakness. Now, specifically, Paul insists there is a conflict in the invisible spiritual realm that is being manifest in the visible physical realm. That your real struggle is not against other people. The real struggle is against spiritual forces of evil that are against you. That the evil problem is really a devil problem. Now, I know this is a uniquely Christian worldview. And I know historically the church has believed this. And by the way, globally the church believes in the spiritual world. It's only in the West that we wrestle with it. But the reason globally and historically the church has believed that there is an invisible battle we're in part of is because they've read their Bibles. Every New Testament author mentions a personal devil. And Jesus did 25 times. Now here's where that matters. You say, I struggle. I struggle to be strong. Don't be surprised the struggle is not your fault. You are under assault. You and I are in a war that we did not start, but that we cannot escape. Now, this reminds me of the pastor greeting the crowd, leaving the building on Easter Sunday. He shook one man's hand and said, you need to join the army of the Lord. He said, I'm in the army of the Lord. The pastor said, why do I only see you on Easter Sunday? The man said, I'm in the secret service. Okay. <laughs> You just need to know in this battle, there is no secret service, okay? You cannot declare neutrality in this war. You can't be strong if your thinking about your real enemy is wrong. Now, we don't have time to unpack the whole theology of the devil, but I can tell you a few things real fast that are important. Number one, he hates you. And you know why he hates you? Because he hates Jesus. And you are in Jesus. So he hates you. And he's not going to let up on you. The devil is never going to say, I've been too hard on them lately. I think I'm going to just take some time off. He cannot be ignored. He must be resisted. I got some good news. As a believer in Christ, you are not fighting for victory. You are fighting from victory. The outcome of this war has already been decided. Colossians 2, 15, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Satan knows this. 
Revelation 12 says that's why he's so furious. He knows his time is short. He's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. He is determined to bring all the hell on earth he can bring until that time comes. So you need to know this about your enemy. He is vanquished. He's not yet vanished. You know, you can decapitate the head of a poisonous snake. That head can still bite you. Our enemy has been defeated. He can still destroy you. And so don't interpret being in the line of fire as being out of the will of God. Put the blame where it belongs. We have a powerful enemy. You can't take him on by yourself. That's why Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We are not to surrender a single blessing that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. But that requires that we dress for success. So that's the second decision you got to make. To put on your strong suit. That's right. Every Christian has a strong suit. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now notice Paul says, when the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes. The day of evil is not a possibility. It is a certainty. The enemy is going to bring serious evil against you. And none of us is strong enough to face it without the resources that Christ has made available. He has purchased an armor. He has given you a strong suit and it is not optional. It is essential for survival. Now, I've been to castles. I've seen suits of armors. They scare nobody. Armor is not frightening if nobody is in it. Armor only does good if you put it on. Now, here's the thing. The devil cannot take a single piece of armor that Christ gives you off of you. But you must put it on. Christ bought it. Only Christ can make it. Only you can take it and put it on. Because the devil is a distorter. So you must put on the belt of truth. You're not going to live better than you think. So when you start to have thoughts that weaken you, take them captive. Are these thoughts in alignment with the truth that Jesus has taught me. Jesus said in John 8, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So when the enemy starts to plant thoughts that weaken and intimidate you, take them captive and put on the belt of truth. The enemy is also an accuser. He loves to remind you of all the times you failed and screwed up you got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. His reminders of your past cannot 
penetrate the reality of your present righteousness in Jesus Christ. Again, Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And you can stand strong when you know where you stand with God. So when the enemy starts bringing up all that garbage, say, shut up, devil. I am standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ right now. That's who I am. You got to put it on. And the enemy is a discourager. And so you got to put on the gospel of peace. He's going to constantly remind you that you don't matter to anybody, especially God. You got to take care to remember how much God cares about you. Here's how you do that. Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So when the enemy tries to discourage you, you shut it down. You say, stop right now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to thank Him for what He's done. I'm going to tell Him what I need. And supernatural peace will start to guard you. The enemy is a fear monger. you got to take up the shield of faith. Now, that's not, I need to assent to a set of doctrines. In Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith, every person mentioned has an active verb. Faith is making the choice to live based on what you believe about God. It's committing to act out of your convictions. And so, when things challenge you and start to intimidate you, you ask yourself, what do I know about God? What do I believe is true about God? I am going to make my next step in light of that and not in light of fear. you got to take up the shield of faith. John says, every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And Satan is a doubter. And so you've got to put on the helmet of salvation. Here's the thing about the enemy. He cannot steal your salvation. But he is going to try every day to steal your confidence in your salvation. You know why? If you don't believe you're saved, are you going to pray boldly? Are you going to live courageously? Are you going to share your faith with somebody when you don't even know if you saved? And so the enemy is going to try every day to attack your confidence in your salvation. Christ wants you to stand strong in the assurance that he has finished the work of saving you. That on the cross, he said, it is finished and Jesus doesn't lie. And so, 1 Thessalonians 5, let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. You have a strong suit. The enemy cannot take it off, but only you can put it on. And most of all, what do we know about the devil? What do we know about the devil from the first of the Bible? He is a liar and the father of lies. And so you must take the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. You say, Pastor, I got a Bible. I even got one on my phone. You can have a Bible and not have a sword. Ooh, somebody write that down. 
You can have 20 Bibles at home and not have five verses of Scripture stored in your heart. And the enemy will come at you and he will attack you with lies and you are not prepared for the battle. When he says the word of God, this Greek word there, rhema, means a specific word. It means you have stored up for the moment a specific revelation from God for the enemy. Like Jesus in the wilderness and the devil comes after him and each time he responds, he pulls out the sword. When the devil comes after you, invite him to a Bible study. He hates that and he won't show up. God's word puts the enemy on the defensive. 1 John 2, I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Now in that entire text, we didn't read anything about how the issue is how strong the enemy is. What we read was the issue is how strong are you going to be in the Lord? So put on your strong suit. It's another way of just saying, appropriate all the blessings that come from being in Christ. Be strong in the Lord. There's a reason. We don't tremble at the mention of demons. It's because we know demons tremble at the mention of Jesus. We have a strong suit. So there's a pastor in San Diego named Miles McPherson. I've never met him, uh, but I've been blessed by his teaching and his writing. Great church. Uh, you see a picture of him here. He was an NFL football player for a season. And when he started his career, he was not a believer. His rookie year, he goes into a hotel room with six party veterans, and they hand him some cocaine. He tried it because he wanted to fit in. And he said, that cocaine grabbed me by the lapels and forced me into submission. And from that moment, all I could think about was how could I spend good money for more poison? Now, there were some Christians on the team. In fact, he said, we're coming back from one game. And one of the guys walks up to me and says, if you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? You know, Jesus, what's your heart? What are you going to do about it? He said, kind of freaked me out. All he could think about was, when's my next hit? He knew it was destroying him. He thought, I'm an NFL football player. I'll just stop after one more time. And he finally realized, I can't stop. It's five in the morning. He's been up all night and he realizes this is going to kill me. He remembered that teammate. He said, if the only way I'm going to break free is I've got to find a power stronger than this cocaine. He got down on his knees. He'd never done this in his life. He said, Jesus, I need you. I need you to set me free. Please, please release me. Now, I know in the struggle to be free of addiction, it is typically usually a long journey. Sometimes it is a supernatural miracle of the moment. It was for my grandfather. It was for Miles McPherson. He said in that moment, the desire to use Coke left him and never came back. And he started pursuing Jesus. He's now a pastor in California and changing lives all over the country. And he'd be the first to tell you, there is power in the name of Jesus. And that's the third decision you've got to make. 
And that's to put Jesus' name on everyone and everything. And so let's keep reading. Verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will, be, will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. You see, if we really do believe that the real battle is going on in heavenly realms, if we really do believe there are dark, evil forces that we can't see that are against us, then we are going to be people of prayer. Prayer demands the recognition there is a realm more real than the one we currently inhabit. And through prayer, we bring invisible power to bear on visible life. And we remember, Satan has no anti-prayer defense system. Satan hates prayer because he knows something a lot of you don't know. That even though he is more powerful than you, when you pray in Jesus' name, you have more authority than he does. Did you watch the NFL playoffs last week? Tom Brady got his first ever unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. The most powerful man in football, the GOAT, got penalized by some little unknown, unnamed referee. And he had to accept the penalty. Why? Because the whole authority of the league is behind that referee. He might be more powerful, but when you are in and under the cover of the name of Jesus, you have more authority. Uh, for many years, I've been influenced by the writings and lectures of a man named Oz Guinness. He's an academic intellectual from England, and he likes to travel and speak at universities to often very skeptical student audiences about faith. He's a brilliant man. So he's going to give a series of lectures at Essex University to students, many skeptical, about the reality of faith in Jesus. He had been told that some were contemplating coming and protesting his lecture series. So he gets there for the first night, and right in front of him on the front row, there is a woman, and you can see rage all over her face. And so he prays. And he asks God for an uninterrupted opportunity to share with his audience why he believes in Jesus. He goes on with the lecture. It is enthusiastically received. And when it's over, that young woman comes up to him and says, how did you do that? How did I do what? How did you keep me quiet? You knew the witch's coven sent me here to interrupt and protest your talk. And when I tried to open my mouth, I could not do it. What kind of spell did you put on me? <laughs> he said, the only spell I cast was I prayed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's maybe what Paul is saying when he says, on all occasions, all the time, for all people, pray in the Spirit. Now, there's a lot of debate. What does that mean, pray in the Spirit? Some people means, think it means, well, pray in your prayer language that God gives you. And I know people in our church and out that have a special prayer language with which they pray. And others say, well, that means 
pray the word of God. He's just got through saying that the word of God is the sword of spirit. So pray scripture over situations. Maybe I think, though, that what Paul is doing is saying that we should respond to impressions we get from the Holy Spirit to pray. I like how the Good News Version puts it. Pray on every occasion as the Spirit leads. And the reason I think that is because he immediately calls for intercessory prayer. He says, pray in the Spirit for all the Lord's people and pray for me. I'm out there trying to preach the gospel and I want to be fearless and I want to be bold. Pray for me every time the Spirit prompts you. It's interesting to me. Every pronoun in this text we've just read is plural. Paul is not writing to a person how to do spiritual warfare. He's writing to a church. Satan loves to pick on the isolated person and the straggler. He's saying, you've got to stand in a band. You've got to fight the enemy together. And one way that we stand with each other is that we kneel for each other. We put Jesus' name on everyone and everything. So back to Os Guinness. A few weeks after that lecture series, he's in the States. And he's at some event, and a woman comes up and said, how did it go at Essex? He said, quite well. Why do you ask? She said, well, I knew the, the time of the first night of the lecture. And I got an impression, and I had a vision. I saw you, and I saw a woman sitting on the front row right in front of you full of rage. And I knew a battle was going on, and I started to pray for you. Listen, all over the Bible, you read, be strong. God would not tell us to be strong without giving us the resources to do it. Strength is a grace, but strength is also a choice. It's a condition that requires a decision. So let me close with this one last illustration. You know I love golf. And ironically, I think the two greatest golfers who ever lived were right here from Fort Worth. Byron Nelson and Ben Hogan. You can see Ben Hogan there in the white shirt. The man beside him you don't know, but he was also a great golfer. His name was Charlie Boswell. Charlie was a great athlete growing up. In fact, he was in the minor leagues, headed to the major leagues in baseball when he was drafted to serve his country in World War II. A fellow soldier was caught in a burning tank. Charlie ran to rescue him. It exploded, and Charlie Boswell was permanently blinded. So he comes home. His love of competition is still there. He can't play baseball or sports like that anymore. Charlie Boswell took up golf. And when I say took up golf, I mean he was good. He was 13 times the national blind champion. And his hero is Ben Hogan. And he won the Ben Hogan Courage Award. They got to come right here to Fort Texas and Colonial Country Club for his award and meet his hero. And he said, Mr. Hogan, it would mean everything to me. If you would play a round of golf with me. And Hogan said, I would love to do that, Charlie. And Charlie Boswell said, let's play for money. (laughs) 
Benogan said, now, Charlie, I don't think that would be the right thing to do. No, I'm serious. I want to play you for money, $1,000 a hoe. Benogan said, Charlie, what would people think if I took advantage of you like that? What's the matter, Mr. Hogan? Are you chicken? Now, some of you remember Ben Hogan. You didn't talk to him that way. He said, Charlie, if I play you for money, I would play to win. Charlie Ball said, I wouldn't want it any other way. So Hogan said, okay, when and where do you want to play? And Charlie Ball said, right here tonight, 10 o'clock. If you're going to be in a battle, don't fight on the enemy's turf. Listen, Christian, Jesus went to the cross and purchased amazing resources for you. Fight him on your turf. The devil wants you to think weak is normal, but it's not. You are covered in the blood of Christ. You wear the armor of Christ. You will the word of Christ. You pray in the name of Christ. Brother and sister, you are stronger. Believe it. Live like it. For Jesus' sake. Let's pray. So God, thank you for the victory that we can live into because of Jesus. Give us, God, greater passion to live as strong as you want us to be and to stop accepting weak as normal. I pray that we can embody and witness to the ultimate triumph of Jesus because we know the day is coming when everyone is going to acknowledge that what we know right now that Jesus is Lord come quickly Lord Jesus Amen